Warm Christian greetings to all of you dear people in the name of Jesus. It's so good to see each of you here. I look forward to uh, sharing the word with you this morning, and I trust that as we have gathered together here, I pray that, that our hearts would be anxious for what God has to share with us. Certainly there are, are many needs in this congregation this morning, and the Lord knows each one of them. And I believe that God has in store for us as we look into His Word. May His Word illuminate our minds and our hearts. May it give us courage to face the unknown battles in our lives ahead. I ask you to ponder this question from a very personal perspective. What is my response to the Word? Now, you've been hearing the Word throughout this week, hearing the Word as I've studied and as I've preached. The Word is also ringing in my ears and in my mind. But the question is, what is my response to the Word? It has been said that a person's attitude towards God's Word is the ultimate criteria of their spirituality. That's sobering to ponder. You see, the way I respond to the Word of God determines my destiny. Think about it like that. And so what is my response? What am I doing with the Word that is heard? It means everything. No doubt you have faced some big overwhelming situations in your life. Things that looked larger than you could possibly handle. Perhaps they were things in your family. Perhaps it was something in your business. Something in relationships. Maybe something in your congregation. Perhaps it was a, a death of a very dear loved one, but something that just looked overwhelming, like you didn't know how you could possibly move forward. And perhaps you asked yourself the question, what am I ever going to do? Or maybe someone was aware of that and, and they came to you and they said, so what do you plan to do about it? What are you going to do? And I don't know how you responded. I don't know what your response would have been. Maybe you would have said, I don't know. I don't know what to do. We'd like to look at a story from Scripture this morning. Where the people had a very similar situation. These people were also dealing with something that looked larger than life. And they said, I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But in fact, what they did was of much greater significance than anything they could have physically done about it. They said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Lord. I invite you to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 for a text this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I would like to read the story, verses 1 through 30, but then we will focus specifically on the first 17 verses of this story. I would just note before we begin that Within this story, we will see two of the most powerful and yet unused resources in spiritual warfare. I say they are two of the most powerful yet unused resources in spiritual warfare. The one is fasting, the other is singing. Fasting and singing. It's beautiful. 
Follow along as I read, starting at verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 20. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword, judgment, famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood ahead. Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came towards the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Barakah unto this day. 
Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Wow, what a story. You believe God can do something like that even today? Amen. Amen. We serve the same mighty God, the one who is still working in mighty ways, the one who is still anticipating his people and calling his people to just simply look to him. Look to him. In those overwhelming experiences, he's saying, just come to me. Trust me. Stand still and see what I can do. Thinking about this singing, before we go back and look more into this passage, you notice what it says there in verse 22. Or verse 21, it says, this was the word of God to the people that the choir should stand in front. And as they march into this battle, the choir should be in the forefront, singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And it says that when they began to sing and to praise, that's when the power of God came down and mightily defeated that overwhelming enemy. Let me just say that singing in the face of overwhelming situations strengthens your heart and sets the stage for spiritual success. I believe it that singing is one of the most powerful, unused resources in spiritual battle today. I want to challenge you with that. Now, singing anytime is wonderful and powerful and praises God. But there is a special power that comes to the believer that sings in the face of overwhelming situations. It touches the heart of God in a mighty way. And we could look into various illustrations surrounding that. We won't for this morning. Now, you notice here as we move into this passage, it starts by saying in verse 1, it came to pass after this also. Okay, so immediately, it, it, it points us back to something that just happened. What just happened? Well, I turn back to chapter 19, and we see the context here. What happened? Well, King Jehoshaphat had just returned home safely from battle. So King Jehoshaphat, although he was a mighty man of God, he loved the Lord, yet he did have some weaknesses. Does that sound familiar? Okay, well, one of his weaknesses was making alliances with ungodly kings. And here he had teamed up with King Ahab, went into battle. As the story goes, King Ahab was killed in battle. Jehoshaphat returned home safely. And upon returning home, uh-oh, he's met. He's met by who? He's met by Jehu. And Jehu met him with some words of admonition. He said, King Jehoshaphat, what are you doing? What are you doing helping the ungodly? What are you doing loving those that hate the Lord? God is not pleased with this. But along with those words of admonition came a number of words of encouragement. I challenge each of you with that. You want your words of admonition to be heard? And admonition is a is something that we need, to, we need to do in the body of believers. We need to admonish one another. It is, in fact, a, a scriptural command to admonish one another. That's necessary. We are all human. But do you want your words of admonition to be heard? Those words of admonition need to be completely surrounded with words of encouragement. If there, is, if there is a heart of encouragement, if there are words of encouragement, if the relationship is, is bathed in encouragement, 
If that is established, the words of admonition will be heard. And here he comes with admonition, but along with it, words of encouragement. And that spurred Jehoshaphat to action. In fact, the scripture says that Jehoshaphat then went to the people and he turned their hearts back to God. This was a time of revival. It was a time of renewal. He appointed judges. Chapter 19 says he appointed judges to govern the people and he commanded the judges to judge in the fear of the Lord or to do it faithfully and do it with a perfect heart. I want you to get this, dear people. We're looking at context here. And so the spiritual climate was right for facing the unknown battle right around the corner. And so in my Bible, the one page starts with, I'm sorry, the one page ends with chapter 19. Everything is fine and dandy. God is on the throne. The people have been revived and renewed. The Lord is working. The judges are judging uh, in the fear of the Lord. It looks like a wonderful scene. You flip the page, boom, we've got a battle on our hands. Is that not how it works? Yeah. But I'm telling you, the spiritual climate was right for facing the unknown battle right around the corner. And there will be unknown battles right around the corner of our lives. You can count on it. This is the Christian, this is the Christian life. This is the Christian battle. This is not a playground. This is a war zone. Be ready for it. And I say staying current, staying up to date in your relationship with Jesus Christ is absolutely vital to experiencing victory in those battles right around the corner. But when you are faithfully, daily surrendering your heart and life to Him, you can expect victory. And that is not a matter of pride. That is a matter of confidence in the power of God. Absolutely. Now, as we walk through this story from the past, I'd like for us to learn some valuable lessons about spiritual battle that can prepare us for the challenges that we face today. And so we'll just break it down this way, the first 17 verses. We'll look at the problem, and then the proclamation, the prayer, and the prophecy. Let us note here what the problem was. <laughs> so we have three enemy nations that are coming to fight Judah. Let's first of all notice who they were. We have the Moabites, the Ammonites, some from Mount Seir. Keep in mind that these Moabites and Ammonites were the product of an immoral relationship that Lot's daughters had with their father. This was many years ago. And as a result of that immoral relationship, you have these people, and these people were a thorn in the side of God's people for years and years and years, fighting them, tempting them, causing them to sin. Let me just say that decisions have consequences. Decisions have consequences. Oh, there is forgiveness with God. Yes, God in His mercy and grace offers that forgiveness. We can confess and we can move on. But dear people, our decisions have consequences. I just want you to ponder that this morning. And here we have one of those consequences. Years later, they're back to fight again. Notice how many they were. The Scripture says it's a great multitude. This person that came running to King Jehoshaphat said, there's a great multitude coming. Or it's a vast army. In fact, when we, when we read there in verse 12... What does is, what is the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer say? He says, For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. He makes it very clear. God, we are completely powerless. We are so outnumbered. We are toast. <laughs> there is no way that we can handle people like this. The number is just overwhelming. And so you understand that the focus... The first thing that hit the people was how big this problem was. When they saw the number, they immediately, in your mind, you compare. We've got this many. They've got that many. We're done. Is that not our natural response too many times? 
Let's notice where this army was. The spokesman that comes running says, they're coming from the other side of the Dead Sea. I'm putting this in my own words. They're coming from the other side of the Dead Sea, and they're almost here. They're on the warpath. In other words, they've already come quite a ways. They're not just spying. This many people have committed to coming. This is a huge army. They've come this far. They're almost here. So in, the, in rough numbers, Edom is maybe 70 miles away. And it says here that they're in Engedi, which is 25 miles away. You understand how far they've come on foot. Within two days, they'll be here. We've got two days to live, the people are thinking. What are we going to do? And so, as you ponder these three things, you put these three things together. Who they were, how many they were, and where they were. You know, if there's anything that would put people into a panic, this certainly would. This was the problem that the people of Judah were facing. Let's note the proclamation that we have here. And here in verse 3, we find King Jehoshaphat. He's scared. It says he fears, or he's afraid, he's alarmed by what he hears. And that's a very natural reaction. In fact, it's a reaction that often immobilizes people. They just completely hunker down. They don't know what to do. But I want us to note the influential power of a godly leader. Look at this influential power of a godly leader in the face of this overwhelming situation. What did Jehoshaphat do? His fear drove him to God. It says he sought God personally. He set himself to seek the Lord. Number one, he set himself to seek the Lord. So he set the example, first of all, by seeking God. It's a picture of resolve. It's, you know, in the face of this, yet I'm going to choose to do this. It's a picture of resolve. You know, he could have chosen many things to do. But in the face of that impossible situation, he chose to seek the face of God. He chose to trust in God. And I ask you this morning, what do you choose to do? You do choose something. You do make a choice in those overwhelming situations. What do you choose? Do you choose resolve or retreat? Resolve or retreat? You see, Jehoshaphat didn't focus so much on shoring up all the physical things. Make sure all my men are in line. All right, let's quick build some bigger walls. Everyone to your closets. No, it wasn't that at all. Instead, we need to go to God. We need to go to God. He immediately focused on the heart of the matter. And so I see it starts with himself as a godly leader, but then he rallied the people to do the same. We're talking about the influence right here of a godly leader. He set the example to seek God, and then he rallied the people to do the same. He proclaimed a fast for the whole nation of Judah, and look how it changed the atmosphere. Look how it changed their perspective. It changed their focus. And so this is something that we must remember this morning. I mentioned earlier these two most powerful yet unused resources in spiritual battle, the one being fasting. I say, what started with fear ended in faith. What started with fear ended in faith. What was in the middle? What made all the difference? Fasting. Fear, fasting, faith. Fasting in prayer was what turned the tide, as it were, among the people. I say fasting and prayer, dear people, is a winning strategy that I believe is often unused among many believers today. And I won't ask for a raise of hands, but it would be interesting to know how many of you fast on a regular basis. It would be very interesting to know. I've been right surprised to know down my way that it's sort of a, a lost art. That's probably not the best way to put it. 
but it's something that's not done very often. I heard one fellow tell me some time ago, he said, well, I have a hard time fasting because I just get really hungry. Well, duh. I want to challenge you to make fasting a normal part of your Christian experience. I mean, is it, is it even something that you think about? I believe that fasting along with prayer is one of the most powerful weapons in spiritual warfare, and I believe that God honors it greatly. It helps to weed out the many distractions that surround circumstances. Say it is an overwhelming situation we're looking at. Maybe it's just a trivial matter that's confusing us. I say fasting and prayer helps to weed out the many distractions and help us to clearly focus on the heart of the matter. Fasting helps align ourselves with God's will. Fasting in this story brought the people together. Fasting brought the people together. Notice this. In this story, we have fasting, we have unity, we have victory, and we have testimony. Do you see that progression? Fasting, unity, victory, testimony. It's a powerful progression that we see in this story. Let's move on to this prayer. And I say what a prayer meeting it was. I want you to notice the picture of togetherness that we see in this story. Look at verses 4 and 13. So King Jehoshaphat is calling for a time of prayer and fasting from all the people. I want you to notice how they valued that. I want you to notice that everyone, everyone took part in that. Verse 4, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek help of the Lord. You see that? They came from all the cities of Judah. Look at verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord. Now we look at that and say, I mean, is that really what it means? Did everyone come? I mean, is that even possible? Well, it says they came from every town. And verse 13 says, all Judah stood before the Lord. I mean, all the men, their wives, children. Hey, that's what the Bible says. I just, when I read that, I, show, I see a spirit of support, a spirit of submission, a spirit of seriousness, a spirit of crying out to God. They clearly understood that this was way over our heads. There is nothing we can do. And they saw God as the answer. It wasn't just a men's prayer meeting. It wasn't just a prayer breakfast. It wasn't even a special called session of conference where you get a handful. No, it wasn't. I mean, it was everyone. It was an all-out family affair. And it's a beautiful picture that must have touched the heart of God. And, and as I, I, I picture this in my mind, I see dad, mom, and, and I see the family. I see the boys and girls, and I see little Johnny and Susie. Oh, and, and I can see groups of families that are in this huge prayer meeting, seeking God's face, and, and, and everyone's there. The little ones, and they're anticipating and moving from God. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the outcome will be, but they're seeking the one who knows. You know, in the face of this impossible situation, everyone was standing together. Dear people, we need to stand together. In our day, we need to stand together. You as a bank congregation needs to stand together we as a conference needs to stand together. God honors that. There's power in that. There's beauty in that. It's a testimony, and we'll see that later. It is a testimony to a watching world, a group of believers that throw aside their different opinions and perspectives and submit to the whole and stand together. 
Does this, does this say that they all exactly thought the same? No, it doesn't at all. But they stood together. I say, we will cease to stand at all if we fail to stand together. And I say, everyone was standing together in spirit and in body. And just notice that. The fact that everybody was physically standing speaks about anticipation. It speaks of readiness. Now, you can sit down and you can sit upright. Y'all look, you look like you're anticipating something. You look ready. But there's something about the physical stance of standing that, that talks about preparation. Like, you are ready to go. I mean, if you really had to get out of here fast, you'd first stand up. I mean, that, that, is, that is the key to quickly getting out of here, okay? Standing speaks of anticipation. And so not only were they standing together inside, they were standing together outside. It was a beautiful picture. But that, that outer stance was also a reflection of the inner attitude that they had. You see, they didn't know what to do, but they had faith that God did. Once again, verse 12. We have no might we are powerless. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you, implying that, God, you know what to do. You know what to do. You've got this all figured out. And so we're just going to wait on you because we believe that you'll take care of us. We don't know what that's going to look like. But you have the answer, and so we're waiting. Show us, Lord. Show us. Their focus was not on the problem, but it was on the answer. And that made all the difference. They believed that God would move. Now let's look here at the content of their prayer. Once again, we have the influential power of a godly leader moving the people to prayer and fasting. Being the example, first of all, now he's leading out in prayer among the people. Verses 6 through 12, I first of all note that their attitude was one of trust and power in God's ability. It was an attitude of trust and power, uh, trust in God's power and ability. Look at verse 6. They're asking questions Art not thou God in heaven? Are you not one that rules over the kingdom of the heathen? Okay, so here we have three enemy nations, three heathen nations that are coming. God, aren't you the one that actually rules over them? Aren't you the God in heaven? And then the, the third question is, aren't you the God that in your hand there is power and might? None can withstand you? Aren't you that God? And so they're asking these questions. There's three questions here. You're the God in heaven, right? You're the God that rules the heathen, right? And you're the God that has all power, right? Why are they asking that? Are they doubting? No, they're not doubting at all. They're not coming with a mind of questioning. It's not a bad attitude at all. But instead, they're saying, yes, they're confirming it. You are that God. You are that God. They remembered God's faithfulness in the past. Notice in verse 7, he says, Art not thou our God? But notice how he started the prayer in verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers. Okay? O Lord God of our fathers. But now today you're our God. And so as they were praying that, they were thinking of God's faithfulness in the past. You are the God of the past. You are the God of our fathers that has done all those amazing things. No doubt they were thinking back to the land of Egypt. No doubt they were thinking back to the Red Sea, through the wilderness journey, all of that stuff. We remember, we've heard the stories of what you've done. You were their God, but now today you're our God. Do it again. You see, do it again. They reminded God of his promises to his people. Verse 9. They reminded God, I say. Do you think God needs a reminder? You know, sometimes I find myself doing that too. I get down to pray. Things look big and I say, God, doesn't your word say that you're my strength? Doesn't your word say that you'll lift me up? Do you think God forgot that? No, not at all. But sometimes we find ourselves reminding God as a means of, of boosting our confidence, of, of reminding ourselves, yes, God is my strength. He will lift me up. But here they remind God, God, you said, remember what you said, when your people are in trouble, 
and they don't know what to do, you should cry out, and you said that you would hear and help. And so I, I can imagine, even as Jehoshaphat was praying that, the people were, that gives hope, you see? That gives courage. Oh, God said in the past that he would hear and help, and we see what he's done in the past. Here we are today, same God, we're crying out, ah, there's going to be there's going to be something happening here soon because God is faithful. And they acknowledged their insufficiency. Verse 12, we've noticed this various times already, but this perhaps could be one of the greatest keys to the whole story. They acknowledged their insufficiency. They said, we have no might. You know, God wants to get us to that point of having no might. As long as we think that we are some key player in this thing, as long as we think that it's a good thing I'm around, man, if I wouldn't have been here, we would have been in bad shape. I mean, the church would have been in big deal problem. You know, I, it's good. I, God doesn't work in situations like that. God waits till we're at the end of our rope. God doesn't want any glory from, he doesn't want us to receive the glory. He's a jealous God. He deserves and claims the glory. And they said, we have no might. And when they said, we have no might, God said, all right, let's go. Let's go. They finally got to that spot. You see, this story would have never had such a spectacular outcome if the people thought, we got this. We can handle this. Let's look yet at the prophecy, and this is... Boy, this story just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> Let's look at the prophecy here in verses 14 through 17. And here we have a spirit-filled man that stands up in the congregation and delivers God's message of encouragement and strength and victory. And he concludes then by promising that God will be with them. Oh, how we need men like that in our congregations today. I don't know what the status of this man was. I don't know if he was one of their pastors, if he was a bishop. I don't know if he was an ordained man. I don't know. It doesn't say so much. But it says that this man, Jehaziel, he stood up in the congregation and preached a word from the Lord. He gave the people hope. The Spirit of God flowed through him today. Brothers, you in the church... You laity, I encourage you, I challenge you to be men who, who stand up, as it were, in the congregation and rally the people and say, this might look hard, this might look overwhelming, but in the name of Jesus, we can do this. We can do this. There is something very powerful when that happens from a grassroots effort, as it were. Oh, it's great when the ministry rallies the people. That's great. But there's something especially powerful. Men and women in the congregation grasp that and take it seriously and help rally the troops. Wow, that's beautiful. You know, in a day when there's a lot of, a lot of pessimistic attitudes, in a day when there's a lot of naysayers, we don't need any more of them. We need encouragement. We need to rally the troops. Commit in your heart before God that you will not join the naysayers, but you will be a group of people that says, in the name of God, we can do this. Let's gather together. Let's be unified. Let's stand together. And here was one of those men. I want to ponder a few moments what this man had to say. Notice verses 15 and 17. There's some key points here in verses 15 and 17. And first of all, the man of God said what the people would not have to do. They started with, this is what you will not have to do. He says, verse 15, for the battle is not yours, but God's. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, it reminds me of what little David, children, you remember the story of David and Goliath? Little David is standing there looking at this impossible situation, as it were. And Goliath was getting ready to throw him through with a spear. And little David, who loved the Lord with all his might, he said, when I'm done with you, Goliath, everyone will know that God doesn't save with spear and with sword, for the battle is the Lord's. That's powerful. Little David was telling Goliath that our God, our God, doesn't doesn't fight battles like you fight battles. 
God doesn't do it that way. And everyone's going to know that our God has a different way about him, that he wins battles in a different way. He said, this battle is the Lord's. And so that's what this spirit-filled man was telling the people, that this battle is not yours, but this battle is God's. He then said in verse 17, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. <sighs> Ye shall not need. Now, okay, so I can picture this congregation that's gathered there. We've got all these people. And so the spirit-filled man says, This is God's battle, not yours. You don't have to fight in this battle. And you can imagine the pressure of this situation. You can imagine as he's talking, people are thinking this army is getting closer and closer and closer. And this guy is saying, you don't have to fight. This is God's battle. And, and I can imagine that there was back in the back of the congregation that's gathered there, there was a few scoffers. As unfortunately there seems to be in many congregations. There was a few scoffers that were going... <clears throat> okay. Yeah, right. Um, and they're kind of looking at their little boy, and their little boy is kind of looking up. And, <clears throat> and uh, what do you mean we don't have to fight? I mean, excuse me, but what's going to happen if we don't fight? I mean, we're completely going to be destroyed. And this guy is saying we don't have to fight. And so they're kind of in the back snorting a little bit. And uh, dear people, do you understand the influence that has on these little ones that was there? You understand that influence? Faithless people. People that were focused on the problem. Resisted looking by faith at the answer and what God could do. But I also believe that there was many, many, many more people in that congregation that when that spirit-filled man said that, tears started rolling down their cheeks. Yes, Lord, praise the Lord. We don't know how this is going to look, but you're going to do it. You're going to do it. We don't know, but you're going to do it. Praise the Lord. We can't see it, but we know you're going to do it. In the same way, those little children, those little children saw that. That's an influence. It's an influence. And then this man said, fear not, nor be dismayed. Now, he didn't say it in so many words, but he certainly implied that God was going to fight this battle for them. In fact, look at verse 29. We talked about the testimony. I said I'm going to come back to this. Look at the testimony that was left. What does it say? Verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that Judah had whipped the tar out of their... No, wait. What verse are we on here? No, no, it doesn't say that at all. It says that the fear of God was on all the nations around when they heard what God had done. You see, the word that was going around town was not what, look what Judah did. Boy, they're scared. No, it's look what Judah's God did. That's what was going around town. Don't mess with Judah's God. God got the glory. I say this, this shouldn't have been a new concept for the people. Instead, just simply a good reminder. I take you back to Exodus. Turn back to Exodus chapter 14 and just notice briefly this story. As the children of Israel here had come out of Egypt and now they find themselves between a rock and a hard place, The rock was Pharaoh and his army closing in behind. The hard place was the Red Sea in front of them. And there they were in between. And God had delivered them, and now they're stuck. And so once again, there's this pressure situation where they got to do something and don't know what to do, and, and, and they're stuck, okay? And the people start complaining, as we tend to do sometimes. And we start blaming the leaders. We start blaming the leaders. Look what you've done to me now. What do, the, what do the people say to Moses? Like, were their graveyards full in Egypt? You had to come out here and just dispose of us in the desert? Come on. 
They said, we would have rather just served the Egyptians than to come out here and die. Irrational thinking. Blaming the leaders for what they were doing. Had they already forgotten how God brought them out so miraculously? But here they're in a pressure situation and they're not thinking clearly. You can imagine that Moses must have just been, wow. And yet he's referred to as the meekest man on earth. I need that. But verse 13 of Exodus 14, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, and stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. It's almost identical wording to what we have in 2 Chronicles 20. Fear not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And when God does something, he does it right, okay? <laughs> the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now, one of the things that I find so fascinating is that even the enemy understood this. Verse 25, it says that God troubled the host of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels, that they drove them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Can you imagine how horrible that must have been to them? When they realized that they were actually fighting against God, when that actually hit them, That's a bad place to be in. It's a bad place to be in. It led the Israelites into a situation here where they were not able to save themselves. All they could do was depend on God to help them. And there's some people that say, well, how mean? How mean for God to do that? No, I say, how merciful. How merciful. When we try to save ourselves, we make an utter mess. I say, how merciful. It's been said that all you have left is God. You realize for the first time that God is all you need. It's one of those situations here. You see, God wants to get us to the place of total dependence upon Him plus nothing. Plus nothing. It's that attitude of complete surrender, complete reliance on God. We find ourselves completely lacking. And it's in that attitude, it's within that perspective that God then unleashes his mighty power. Now, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God promised the children of Israel that he would fight for them. He would fight for them. And at least three times we read through Deuteronomy, I will fight for you. In fact, as Joshua then gets to the very end of his ministry, as he's getting ready to pass on the baton, as it were, to the next ones, Joshua reminds the people that they had conquered and that they had what they had, they, who, they were who they were, not because of themselves, not because of how great they were, not because they deserved it, but he said, it's because the Lord fought for you. That's why you are who you are today, because God fought for you. Now turn to Psalm 44. In Psalm 44 here, we have a, a beautiful perspective of humble confidence in God. Humble confidence in God. Starting at verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. And then he goes on, and we'll read in just a moment, but he goes on to tell them, to recount some of the stories that they had heard. I just wonder this morning, do y'all tell stories in your family? Are there stories in your family that have been passed down from generation to generation. Do y'all ever sit around the campfire or sit around the, the supper table and recount stories of God working in the past? I remember when I was a boy, we, you know, we had this. Thing, you, know. you remember some of those stories of, of things that looked just overwhelming or things that you didn't know how they're going to work out and something maybe was very dangerous and how 
God did it. You know, we tell those stories. I just want to encourage you, keep telling those stories. Has God done something for you? Are there stories of deliverance? Are there stories of protection? Are there stories of salvation, even spiritual wonders that God has done? Are those stories in your family? Are they in your lives? They should be. Tell them. Tell them. Those, those stories are a powerful example to our children. Wow, did you hear what Dad said? He could have got killed that day and God saved him. Whoa. That's great. You know, that builds, that builds confidence. That builds faith in little children. Our, our family tells some stories, and, and I won't go into them for sake of time, but I'll just mention uh, that one of the stories that, that we tell in our, in our home from time to time is when I was a boy and we took a trip to the New England States and we went to Acadia National Park in Bar Harbor, Maine. And on Cadillac Mountain... We remember the story of the vanishing Volvo. <laughs> and we believe that there was two angels driving a Volvo station wagon. You, can you imagine that? <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting story. I'll save it for another time. But that story boosted our faith in God as little children. And we still talk about that. Boy, God did it. Dad didn't have a ride, and he put thumbs up, and someone gave him a ride. We never saw that car again. Whoa. Anyway, whatever it was. I say, tell your stories. Verse 2. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. Or, or you, you crushed the other people, but you made your, your fathers to flourish. Verse 3. For they got not the land of possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. Notice here who's doing the work. Notice here who's in control. Notice here who's saving who. God gets the credit. Verse 4, thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Or, or David's saying, okay, so God, we've heard these stories. We've heard what you've done in the past. Now you're my king today. Do it for me. I want to see your might. I want to see your power in my life today. Deliver me. Verse 5, through thee we will push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. Think about that. Selah. Meditate on that one. You see, you see how telling stories brings about confidence? You see how recalling God's faithfulness in the past boosts our confidence in God's working faithfulness today? And so, I am who I am. I am where I am. I have what I have because of God and because of God alone. That's it. You know, there are a few things that make me feel more sick on the stomach than when I hear an older man telling me about his life and about all his successes and how he raised his children and they're all in the church and everything he does turns to gold and you know it's just kind of like this like that and he never gives God the glory for it there's few things that make me feel as sick on the stomach as that reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar reminds me of King Herod where it says that he had a great speech before all the people. And they said, whoa, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a God. And the people worshipped him. And it says, immediately he was eaten by worms because he gave not God the glory. But that probably wouldn't happen today, would it? No, probably not. At least <laughs> that's what we like to think. And yet God deals in similar ways today. Well, it's about time to wrap this up here. Let me just say, Jehaziel, the spirit-filled man, he concludes his prophecy back in 2 Chronicles 20 with the words, For the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. And dear people, the same promise is ours today in the battles that we face. 
Don't think for a moment that you are fighting your battles alone. In fact, God takes your battles personally. And if you are not winning, it's not because God doesn't care. It's probably because you're trying to help him. God doesn't need your help. In fact, God doesn't want your help. Your help completely gets in the way of what God wants to do. Get out of the way and watch God work. God wants you to simply stand back in obedience and trust. And so notice what the people were told to do. First of all, you don't have to do this, but do this. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. That stand still literally means to make yourself to stand. Get ready. Position yourself. This is going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. Prepare for awesome. God's going to do something that just blows your mind. And so it is, it is not speaking here so much of an outer stance of getting ready, but it's speaking more here of this inner tranquility of the heart. This inner attitude of prepare your heart for what God is going to do. Isaiah 30, 15, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But, but, but I have to do something, right? What, what, what can I do? No. Trust me. Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 46.10, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Dear people, waiting and being still is not a picture of indecision. It's not a picture of unbelief. It's not a picture of disobedience. In fact, it's an attitude of quiet confidence and trust in our Almighty God. And so our victory in spiritual warfare depends upon God. The battle is His. And our one responsibility is to stay obediently in His will. And when we do that, victory is assured. Why? Because God is fighting for us. And God doesn't lose any battles. I just want to challenge you here at the end with the perspective of a group of young missionaries. The date was January 1956, and the place was the jungles of Ecuador. And Nate Saint, Roger Ardarian, Pete Fleming, Ed McCurry, and Jim Elliott were preparing for what they anticipated to be the big meeting with the Aka Indians. They had been preparing for this day for many, many months. They had been praying and fasting about this and trusting God to work out the details about this. And yet as the time got closer, they were uncertain of how this meeting were, would go. They were becoming nervous about that. And so on the eve of that big meeting, that night they met together. And just once again, committing this to God. And they prayed together, and before they parted ways, they sang this song together. One of the things that touches me about this is, really, this song was written by Jehoshaphat's father, Asa. Of course, it's been brought up to speed more recently for us today. But they sang together, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe, strong in thy grace, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day thy grace to know, yet from our hearts a song of triumph pealing, we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go. We rest on Thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, 
Victors, we rest with Thee through endless days. And they parted ways. And the next day they went out onto the beach and were all killed in that big meeting with the Aka Indians. And there were some people that looked at that as such a waste of precious life. A failed mission. Oh, that was bad planning. What were these men thinking? Here we have five young, intelligent men, godly men, who could have been such a blessing to God's kingdom, teaching and preaching and serving in many ways, men with beautiful wives and little children. Now look at this. What a waste of precious life. Some said. And yet, dear people, what looked like defeat that day on the beach instead became one of the greatest victories in modern-day evangelism as through their sacrifice, hundreds of Aka Indians came to Jesus Christ. And today, many thousands are being impacted around the world to go into dangerous places armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls are being won for the kingdom. You know, we have this thought in our mind that in order to truly be effective for Christ, we need to be alive and healthy and strong. God doesn't always fight like that. God doesn't always fight like that. But dear people, when the battle is the Lord's, God will always take care of business to bring himself the most glory. God doesn't lose any battles. Let's pray.